So, uh, today we get ready for a national day tomorrow in which we celebrate the memory of Martin Luther King and the work that he did to move us in a healing direction in our national life. And it has become a day in which our nation invites one another, all of our citizens, to extend to one another the invitation to participate in, to be part of the healing of the earth, to find ways that are here, now, small, doable, in which we participate in fixing what is broken, healing what is wounded, and to do it at a very local level in our neighborhoods, in our cities, our schools, and our jobs. That's what this day in our national life represents. Now, I say this quite frequently, probably every year about this time. I say it's not, it is a very good exercise to put the collected speeches of Martin Luther King into your car and take the several weeks that it takes while you're driving around to listen to them because not only is it deeply inspiring, it is, but it is also deeply reorienting because of all the things Martin Luther King was, he was foremost a spiritual leader. What he did about racial justice and what he did about economic justice and civil rights all drew from a deep well of spirituality, all drew from a deep source that when we look for words to describe that deep source, we call the divine or we call it God or we call it the spirit. Whatever we call it, it is the deepest deep and it is in us. Whatever we call it, it is the realest real, and it is in us. And when we access it, when we touch it, justice becomes us, and we become just. When we access this deepest deep, this realest real, care for one another becomes us, and we become caring one for another. When we access this deep divine, it becomes real in our lives that it is always the right time to do what is right. Sunday evening, last around 30 folks from our community and around 30 folks from St. Ambrose Episcopal Church and several from Watts Chapel, we got together for a potluck. And we ate together and then we broke into pairs for a very short version of Tell Your Life Story. Tell us about, uh, tell one another about your life and how you got here and what are your passions and those kinds of things. And it was a very good meeting. <clears throat> I think uh, I walked away with, I think collectively we walked away with a sense of the goodness of getting out of our religious silos. White folk doing religion over here and black folk doing church over there. It's good for us to break out of those constraints that we all inherited by just being born into the world the way the world is. My guess from reading the room and my guess from comments that I heard afterwards was yes, it was a very good start. Uh, it was a very good direction to be moving in. And so I walked away thinking, yep, good start. And then I went home. And then it had been a long day, so I went to bed earlier than normal. And the next day, Monday, my day off, I didn't have the grand boys that day, so it was a quieter uh, day than normal. And so I had the event playing in my mind, mulling it over, thinking about it, reflecting on it. I had time to process. And so Reverend Taylor, the, the 
rector perhaps at, uh, I don't know, vicar? I don't know what you call it, Episcopal. Is what? what? Rector. rector. The rector at uh, St. Ambrose. He and I were texting back and forth this week about uh, getting coffee. And in the conversation as we were texting, I used the word sobering. Because that's how I began to feel on Monday, thinking about Sunday night. I began to feel sobered. Happy that we'd made a good start, but a sense of gravity about what we had started. So if I could go back to 1995 when I arrived in Raleigh to start NRCC, and if I could know then about the journey that it would take from then until now, I would have on that day have felt sobered. Sobered by the enormity of the undertaking, sobered by the gravity of the undertaking, because I arrived to start a church not knowing what church meant anymore. Is this sounding echoey to you or is that just me? Okay, good. I arrived to start a church not knowing what church was about, not knowing if church was even a relevant concept anymore, not even knowing if Christianity was still viable. So I arrived with a whole lot of questions and not very many fixed answers. I did not know then that it would take 10 years of gut-wrenching doubt and question and study just to get settled around the word Christian. I didn't know that it would take more years still to get settled with the notion that church could actually be a good word, that it could be a healthy institution, a helpful place for people to grow and to thrive. If I could go back to that day, I would feel, would have felt sobered. If I could go back to the day, to that day, knowing what I know now, I imagine I might have felt like the early pioneers who lined up their wagons in St. Louis to get ready to start the long trek to Oregon. And I would be thinking to myself, whoa, this is a big undertaking. Line that lined up there getting ready for that long journey, I would be thinking to myself, once I start on this journey, things will no longer be the same. Not the same for me, not the same for my world, not, for, not the same for the people around me. Whoa. That's what I imagine if I could go back to that first Sunday. It was in October. Three people showed up and... If I knew what was set before me, if I knew what was set before us, whoa. So, Monday, when I had some quiet space to reflect on those first steps that we took last Sunday evening, it was that. Whoa. I know more now than I knew in 1995. I know more of what is involved in things that move from here to there Whoa. A sense of embarking on a journey that if we don't abandon it when it gets difficult, will change everything. We will not be the same if we keep walking this way. Those with whom we begin relationship will not be the same if we keep walking this way. Our city will not be the same if we keep walking this way. We will inevitably get past the best foot forward stage of relationship and get to know one another more authentically. And we will begin to learn one another's stories and we will learn the messy parts. 
and we will learn the hurting parts. And we'll begin to knit our hearts together one with another and begin to learn intimately that life is different for people in our city. And it is different along color lines, and it is different along racial lines, and it is different along economic lines and along culture lines. And if we keep walking this path and we don't abandon it, once relationship opens us up to the reality that life is different for black folk and for white folk, for Muslim folk and for Christian folk, life is different for people who have easier access and people for whom access is more difficult. Once we do that, whoa. And when we touch one another's pain, as we inevitably will, when we stumble and accidentally poke that pain, and then we have to sort through the reactions that happen when one's pain is poked and unearth the hurt that goes on beneath it. Whoa. And what are we going to do when we see what our society has conspired very carefully to keep us from seeing? And what will we do when them that is so conveniently somewhere else, not here, becomes us? And we realize we are in this thing together. If we do that, and if we don't abandon it when it gets difficult, things will be different after this. Things will change. I will change. We will change, my world will change, our world will change. So it was a sobering Monday. Whoa. But when I imagine those pioneers lining up their wagons ready to embark on that long trek to Oregon, I imagine, yes, they felt sobered. They knew it would be hard. Even there at the beginning of the journey, they knew that the challenges that awaited them were very real, that there would be sickness, there would be starvation, there would be thirst, there would be arrows. But they lined up anyway. Because there was more to it than just the daunting enormity of what they were about to embark upon. There was something else. There was hope. There was a hope for something better. Something better for them, something better for one another, something better for their children, something better for their children's children. Which is just as true for us. Because if we walk this path of restitching the torn fabric of community, and if we do not abandon this path when it becomes difficult, our world cannot just be different, our world can be better. It can be better for us, it can be better for one another, it can be better for our children, it can be better for our children's children. I read a story recently about the first marketing campaign for antidepressants in Cambodia. It turns out in the Khmer language, there is no word for depression or for antidepressants. So when the marketers were talking with a group of people that lived in a region that uh, in their native language, how would they market things? They uh, had to describe the symptoms of depressed people. And so once they did that, then the focus group responded and said, oh, sure, yeah, we have people like that. 
And then they told a story about uh, someone uh, in their village that was experiencing that. It was a farmer who lived in a nearby village, and he had lost his leg. It had been blown off in one of the landmines that was left after the war. So he got a prosthetic leg, and he had those symptoms that they had listed trying to to define depression. He was constantly anxious, this farmer was. He was filled with despair, suffering a tremendous amount of lethargy, apathy about his life. He was isolating himself from the community, withdrawing into himself. And so they said, yeah, we we, we have depressed people. But the reason they told the story about the farmer is because they were a little bit puzzled about why people would want to come and market a pill for that problem because in their minds there was a different way to approach that problem. In fact, they were pretty confident they knew how to solve that kind of problem. Because the story they told was that when the village, together as they were, realized how despondent the farmer was, they got the community doctors together, and they got the neighbors together, and they sat with him, and they talked through life together. And as they did, they realized that even with his new prosthetic leg, his old job, which had been working in the rice paddies, was just not viable. It was just too difficult for him to do. Because walking the way that he had to walk in that job created constant physical pain, and that pain caused him to worry about his future because he wasn't imagining he would be able to keep doing this for very long. And that pain brought up only not, not only fear about the future, but it also brought bad memories from the past when the accident happened, with the context that was going, along, going on as the accident happened. And it was all creating a tremendous amount of stress and a tremendous amount of anxiety, and he was suffering what we call depression. So the villagers put their head together, and they said, what are we going to do about this? And realized, you know what, we could use in this area around us, we could use another dairy farmer. And dairy farming requires much less walking than rice farming. And so the community bought a cow. And in the months that followed, in the years that followed, the farmer's depression went away. In their minds, the cow was the antidepressant. In their minds, the community coming together to solve a person's situation, context, life, was the antidepressant. The community working together to see the problem, working together to solve the problem, that simple exercise went to the core of the human condition, and it was the antidepressant. It's a relatively simple function that human beings do, kind of naturally problem-solving, And when we do, we're tapping into something that is a much bigger reality than we often live in. Getting together to help one another, that is working in a world that is more one than two, as you hear me say. Or in a world in which oneness really is a better description of reality than two-ness, which you hear me say or in a world in which we really are in this thing together. Because it turns out, working in the world as the world really is, is kind of easy to do. When we are together, when we are connected, when we are not divided, when we are not separated, it turns out getting together to figure out how to solve a problem, that's not the biggest issue. 
It's kind of something we do a little more naturally. The challenge for us is that we're not together and that we are divided. But if we can be together, that togetherness can be as effective, if not more effective, than antidepressants and making our brains work well. Brain chemistry is a thing. It's a real thing. But it's not a real thing by itself. Brain chemistry works in a feedback loop system with circumstances. Circumstances affect brain chemistry, in which in turn brain chemistry affects affects circumstances. And it's difficult to know where you're going to decide to break up this feedback loop. Do you break it up first with chemicals, with brain chemistry? It's kind of how we approach it in the West. Or do you break it up first with circumstances that will affect how the brain chemistry goes? When we are disconnected from one another, it is much more likely that adverse circumstances that are going to create adverse brain chemistry will happen. Because when we are divided one from another, we are not living in reality as reality is. The reality is we are connected one to another. The reality is that we are part of a bigger oneness and not a two-ness. We are, as Paul said a long time ago, we being many are one body, every one of us members of one another. When we set out on a journey to restitch the torn fabric of community, when we set out to create the context in which we can get together to solve our problems together, when we no longer settle for the divisions that divide us, when we no longer rely upon the illusion that my problem and your problem are not the same, that your problem on that side of the town is not my problem, my problem on this side of town is not your problem, when we no longer buy that false illusory construct and we begin restitching the torn fabric of community, we begin to work with reality as reality is. And reality is that we are all interconnected. All life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. The pain of your severed limb is eventually my pain. When we get past our culturally inherited blind spots, we see that all of our stories are interrelated. When we get past the blind spots that we inherited because we are rugged Western individualists, we realize that all of our struggles are interrelated. We can step into a dynamic when we get past that illusion that is pretty natural, about as natural as natural can be. Yeah, we just go to work on one another's problems, just as natural as we go to work on our own problems. It's pretty easy, actually, to live according to the wisdom that Jesus gave us when he said to love one another as you love yourself. That's actually kind of wired into us when we live in the context in which we are not divided one from another. But it's that journey back to a sense of together that we embarked upon Sunday night. 
restitching the torn fabric of community, putting back together a village of people who can actually know about the farmer's trouble, putting back together a group of people who are not divided one another so we actually know one another's stories and know one another's troubles, so much so that we can put our heads together and figure out, oh, we need a cow, which you can't do when we're divided one from another. In our world, a lot of the troubles that we face are at their core disconnection troubles. Things are less than they could be because we are disconnected. Things are worse than they could be because we're disconnected. When I act and when I live according to the illusion that your story isn't my story and that your pain isn't my pain, for a while it will work. But while I'm doing that, the ancient wisdom keeps the constant testimony from the past saying it is not so. Your pain is my pain. The other side of town's pain is my pain. But if I keep functioning according to that disconnected illusion, then my instincts are going to betray me and I'm going to be consumed working on the me part and not the us whole. And that just won't work for very long because it's not the way reality is. Reality is we are all in this thing together. We are a garment that is sewn together. So today and tomorrow... You're going to hear a tremendous amount of news coverage that will remember Martin Luther King, remember the strides that we have made forward, remember the, look forward at the, the strides that must yet be made. And I encourage you when you see that in these days to commit ourselves to doing our part, seeking out what we can be doing to heal the earth, what we can be doing to restore what has been broken and to be restitching what has been torn in ways that are here and now and small and doable. As a community, we're working hard to create spaces where we can work together so that we don't all individually have to figure out where we're going to do that. You heard about one of those in the announcements, cards and calls and coffee and court. Standing with those who have suffered violence, befriending those who often walk through that kind of suffering alone. I hope you will attend the orientation It's a Thursday night, I think, what, the 7th of February? But if not that, where can you find that is here and now and small and doable? Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be awake, awake to the interior nudges of the indwelling Spirit. I pray that we would be alert, alert to the inner movement of the indwelling spirit, that we would be in touch with the healing spirit of God that is within, the restoring spirit of God, the redeeming spirit of God that is within. And may we be moved by that interior light and that interior life to be participants with it in the healing of our world as we follow Jesus. Amen.